You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, they did it. They did. I text you. I text you halfway through the second quarter, I think, and I think I just said maybe this is happening, but I wasn't a hundred percent convinced that it was going to go down. But similar to last week, Hawthorne just gave nothing in the second half at all. And it's interesting. We spoke at Adelaide the last few weeks. I wasn't sure they were actually going to get over the line with a win, but their effort levels, their pressure their competitiveness has been really, really damn good for the last six weeks. And honestly, they've just kicked themselves out of game. So I reckon there would have been some nervous Crows fans, particularly through the second and third quarter, as they continued to miss some pretty damn good looks at goal. And in the end, 23 scoring shots to 13. They win by 35 points. The margin felt about right, I reckon. Yeah, uh, I think that's uh, pretty indicative of how the game went. And we talked yesterday about Hawthorne's selection, about bringing all those guys back in because they didn't want to get embarrassed. Well, I think it's doubly embarrassing to bring those guys back in and then lose that game. Hawthorne's not going great. We know that they're in the developmental stage, or they should be, and they probably should have you know, leaned into it a little bit harder earlier. But when you are you know, bringing these guys back, Frawleys and um, yeah, Mitchell Lewis came back in. I can't remember. The other, there was a couple of other the older, so Burgoyne came back in this week for this game with the implied reasoning that, hey, we don't want to lose to Adelaide, and then you do lose, it would have been much better to just play the kids and say, well, you know, we're in a, we're in a spot where we're rebuilding as well. They're going to learn from this, but now that just looks doubly bad. No, it does. I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the game that stands out to me was the Gold Coast game the other week where they were coming off a really, really short break against the Blues. This was kind of similar where the Hawks were on a five-day break. I think Adelaide had nine, so... We've seen this happen only on a couple of occasions where the gap is is virtually double for the rest time. And I think, again, it did show, even though you could probably suggest Hawthorne haven't been playing that well at all. I thought the post-game press conference from Alistair Clarkson was pretty interesting because he spoke a, a little bit about this season and what the players are going through and the difficulties. And I know that it's easy to shrug your shoulders and say, well, so what? Literally every single player is doing that. And that was probably my first reaction. But then secondly, I, I thought about this a little bit more for a team like Hawthorne. And they've been really bad. And, and the effort level hasn't been there. And Clarkson sort of pointed to that. I will say for these, there's two Victorian teams in, in, uh, in particular that stand out for me. And that is Hawthorne and North Melbourne right now that are just dropping off the face of the earth. I mean, they just look absolutely atrocious. If you've got any of those two teams in the run home, you almost feel like it's an automatic 10-goal win. And as far as the Victorian teams go, they have been away from home now for, I mean, it's just a fact, they've been away for longer than any other team. Now, clearly, we live in Victoria, so I don't think that we're feeling that sorry for them. They've probably got it better than what uh, we've had, certainly those living in Metro Melbourne. But I think that this is what we discussed earlier in the season. What are teams going to do once their season is over? Is the effort level going to continue to be there? 
Are they going to be training at the level that they normally would? Is there any motivation at all for these teams away from home in the hubs to produce good footy? And I think we've seen a pretty clear indication of two teams that have thrown in the towel this year. It, it does feel like it with those. I think it was interesting the way Fremantle handled things is that they mm. went back to their hub and they just said, well, we're delisting players now. Like, don't, yeah. don't, don't come up with us. It's a, a, a hassle, so to speak. For you to come up into the hub and the quarantine, you're not going to be around next year. So see you later. Like don't don't bother. And I think that's you know they they really having that forward focus uh, on what they're what they're doing. And like this is what we want to develop for next year. And I'm not saying that Hawthorne needs to be delisting players now, but yeah, having that forward focus. And then even Clarkson coming out and saying yeah we're going to look to rebuild through free agency and not through the draft. Like I I know he's a I know he's a legend. He's one of the greatest coaches of all time, but. So like at some point you just have to bite the bullet and go we need the young kids in we don't need 27 year olds to be coming in in a, from other teams to try and maybe get something I don't know it, it just felt like a, a weird response to hey we're in full rebuild mode now but no we, we, we don't trust kids so I do want to get to the Crows because I've got a question for you regarding the younger players in particular, who I thought there was a bunch that have been impressive over the last few weeks, and, and maybe if we take a step back, have been impressive throughout the year given the circumstances. But I spoke about this last week when I went solo on the pod, so I don't want to give too much of an opinion. People have already heard me talk about it. But as far as this Hawthorne list goes, it's pretty clear now, and yes, maybe there's a little bit of that they've thrown in a towel and they could bounce back and be competitive next year. But with the guys that would still hold real value around the league, with Bruce, with Gunston, even with a McAvoy who's only 30 years old and there's a bunch of teams that could use a, a, a Ruckman, an experienced Ruckman, which basically he hasn't played in that position all year, which continues to be bizarre. Would you go down the path, and I understand they're premiership players, which makes this a little bit more difficult, even though I think that that's overblown and it shouldn't be that uh, that much of a factor in Australian footy. Do they bite the bullet and trade some of these guys and get some draft uh, assets back in, maybe some younger players back in uh, before it's too late? And we've seen this with North Melbourne. They didn't do it with Goldstein. They didn't do it with Higgins. And now it's too late. I think that they need to at least look at that and they need mm-hmm. to um, yeah, speak to the players. You're not just getting rid of them and say, look, hey, look, guys, things are, are pretty rough here. Any of you guys want to, you've been a great, you know, yeah great player for the club you've been fantastic in our run but anyone interested in you know maybe going to a team where you might win five more than five games for the next two three years and you might get a couple look, they, they they have done it in the past we saw sam mitchell we saw jordan lewis they moved on from those guys yeah legends of the club and they're always going to be hawthorne legends um so i i don't think they should be like oh god we, we can't get rid of james frawley yeah ben ben mcavoy who again a, a guy that didn't start off with Hawthorne, not a Hawthorne guy his entire career. I think if you have those opportunities, you have to at least bring it to those guys. You know, Puopolo, maybe he's a guy. He's 32. He's almost 30. He's going to be 33 by next season. Like, do you do you move these guys? I don't think you've got to have... And I, and I have some confidence that they, they're they not going to, you know, pull themselves away from that sort of maneuver. It's whether they do it enough because they've, they've done it in the past. But I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to be um, you know, at least bringing that option to some of their players. But I think they'd need to do more of it. And I worry a little bit how that execution is going to go, given those Clarkson comments. 
Yeah, I, I think the only difference would be from a Lewis or Mitchell situation is uh, Gunston, Gunston and Bruce, for instance, are, are still in their late 20s. I mean, they've got multiple years of really good footy. So I think you could actually get assets back rather than yeah. just give them away for, well, I don't know, whatever it was, pick 60, 70 or whatever it was for Mitchell. So I think that's the difference. I think it's going to be a difficult decision. Clearly, I think there would be some Hawthorne fans that wouldn't want to do that. But if you are a Hawthorne fan and you are a listener, hit us up at Locked On AFL on Twitter and let us know what you think the Hawks should do moving forward. But as far as the Crows go, because this is this was pretty fun, honestly, um, to see Nixie. He basically spent the last five, six minutes with a huge smile on his face in the coaching box once he realized they were going to win. But who's the young guys that you like in this team? Because I actually think there's a bunch that have shown um, some real promise over, as I said, over the last month, five weeks, six weeks. I... Yeah, this is not not just from um, yeah, this game, but just in in general. When when looking over the 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 team and what the, oh, and I've watched a lot a lot more Adelaide than I thought I would this year. I think Ben Keys has been impressive, but I'm looking more at guys and he didn't play yep. last night. Uh, Mackesy has been someone who has impressed me at times during during this season. Um, I think McAdam has looked uh, looked pretty good in the games that, that, that I've seen him play. He's only, only played 10 games for his career, but I think he's been a guy. Like he didn't do a huge amount last night, but kicked a goal, had 10 touches. They're guys that, that are standing out to me at, at this point as some of those some of those younger guys. Uh, Keyes still and hasn't even played 50 games yet, but he is a, a guy that was a rookie-listed player, one of those older type of guys as well. I think he's. I think Chase Jones has looked all right in, in some of the games that he's played this year. So they're probably the the major ones that that have stood out to me. Yeah, Jones, I think he did okay. Tyson Stengel's been pretty good for them as well. Just yeah, not really dominating. And even last night, you see the Crouch boys having almost sixty touches between them, and then you know Rory Led and Brody Smith as the next bunch of guys in terms of the amount of ball that they're getting. And they're all on the the older end of things. But some of those younger guys, they've shown me a bit. Yeah, I don't think anyone should be under any illusions that this isn't going to be a, a quick bounce back for the Crows, particularly when you consider what might happen with the Crouch brothers. And it's a good point you make about uh, Matt and Brad Crouch being the top two disposal winners. Then you have Rory Laird, uh, third, Brody Smith, uh, fifth. And Ben Keyes was in their top five as well there. So it is still the veteran guys that are winning the bulk of the footy. Rory Sloan's obviously there as well. Stengel was one for mine. Uh, another guy that you almost forget was with the Tigers back in 2017, played a couple of games there. He looked really dangerous. He actually had more opportunities that he just wasn't able to capitalize on in the first quarter, certainly the first half. Uh, but he's only played 13 games. He's only 21 years old. He's a guy that I think they'll continue to play. The other one as far as key position prospects go, because I think that this is when you look at some other teams, and Carlton is, again, one that stands out. When you think about the key position prospects that they have, the guys under 25 that are going to fill those spots for the long term, Elliot Himmelberg's really interesting yeah. because uh, he really crashes packs. He, he creates a contest. He can take contested marks. He's already proven that. 16 disposals uh, in last night's game against Hawthorne. Uh, four marks, uh, four tackles as well. I, I thought he was really, really good. And I think that, over again, over that period, the last few weeks here, he's been his, his effort has been pretty consistent. He looks like one that uh, they're going to want to continue to put time into, and uh, has impressed me anyway. It's in his he's in his fourth season, Himmelberg. He's only played yeah. uh, twenty or sixteen games. Uh, it's in his fourth season, almost two hundred centimeters, twenty-two years of age. Like he's really pushing up to be that guy. That in, in two years you look at him as more of that target. But yeah, he's been you know, way more impressive this year. Half of his games have come this season, versus you know eight games over the three previous years. So I think he has really taken his game forward. And I, I wouldn't say that you're looking at this 
Crows team and saying, well, they've got a whole bunch of young, real studs coming through. They'll be looking to get those guys in this coming draft, you know, pick one or two or whatever they end up with. Uh, or one and two, sorry. Um, that's where they look to bring those guys in. But there's enough players who can be complementary pieces around that, who are in that 19 to 23, 24. Even you know, Riley O'Brien's only 25. Like He's got another five years in him probably as a you know, good to, to very good ruckman. I thought he was pretty good again last night. Um, so there is a, a bunch of those guys around that area. And remember, they've got um, uh, Miller, who has barely played, if at all, this yeah. season, who's only 22 as well. Another guy that can come back in, who's got 50 games under his belt already, that can come back in and be a part of that. Yeah, Miller is a good one uh, that you do forget. Has missed a lot of this season and and fair bit of promise around him coming into the season. Has maybe been one of those guys, I've spoke before about that 50 to 100 game range is typically when you see guys take that step into being really, really quality players. So he's one that they'll be looking forward to next year. We do have a mailbag question from my mate, York, my Carlton friend, York, who, by the way, well, I thought that I might have teed off on the Blues a little bit too much the other day when we were discussing it, uh, Josh. And he, he did text and said, uh, I am very frustrated as a Blues fan. Maybe I might have gone a little bit early. As you pointed to, he said he would have taken eight wins at the start of the season, but uh, uh, still does feel like a little bit of a waste. But let me throw this question to you. This is carrying on from our conversation yesterday where I mentioned that I thought teams should go for more mature age players because uh, I think particularly later in drafts, there's plenty of gold to be had. He texted me yesterday afternoon and said, which state league recruit has been the best of the last decade? Now, uh, going back and looking through this, there's a bunch of guys that you forget did come to the league through this uh, method, maybe as a 21, 22-year-old, there's been a hell of a lot of quality. So uh, what names stand out to you? And maybe uh, which one do you ultimately have as the number one? Well, there is a ton of them. And a lot of these guys, you sort of forget that they did come in as... um as mature age state league type recruits, like I, I knew, you know, off the top of my head, the, the Bulldogs uh, couple, you know, Liam Pick and, and uh, Dale Morris coming in through the, the VFL and had obviously fantastic careers there. But there are some, there are some really, really good names. Um, at this point in their careers, uh, you probably have to look at Dane Zorko or maybe Jeremy Howe. Maybe they're the two that I would look at. Uh, I think if Howe had have continued on this season the way that he was going before the knee injury, he'd be right up there as one of those guys. Um, but there are some really, really strong names in this group of players. Uh, Tim Kelly in that group. Uh, Hugh Greenwood, who's been massive this season, of course. Tom Stewart, Harry Taylor. There are some really, really big names. But I think I, think I have to give it to Zorko at this point. Yeah, I think I ultimately went with Zorko as well. Four-time best and fairest winner. Now, we know, I mean, Brisbane haven't been at their best. And uh, kind of similar to Jack Stephen, I think a lot of people just just disregard it. They just wipe it off and say, oh, four-time best and fairest winner? Who cares? You're playing, your team was trash. Your team was rubbish. But Zorko's been a hell of a player over the last, you know, seven, eight years coming to Brisbane as a mature age recruit. A couple other guys that stand out to me in this, and this is post-2010, remember, so a couple of other guys that stand out to me. Uh, Isaac Smith, a Victorian guy who's playing down Ballarat. And I think, if I remember this, he uh, really came from nowhere in the back half of the VFL season where he was just tearing it up. And you remember, or you think about the way Isaac Smith plays, can you imagine that? At local level, it would have been absolutely unbelievable. So three-time premiership player, Isaac Smith, certainly stands out. I think that there's a couple of ways you can look at this. So if you're looking at uh, you know, longevity, 
Then another guy that comes into mind would be Ed Kerno. Clearly has been a pretty consistent player for Carlton over the years and still right now, so important to them in terms of their midfield, in terms of the defensive roles that he has, his ball-winning ability. But then who's who's got perhaps the highest ceiling of all the players? And Tim Kelly might be the one in terms of he, last year he was a, a Brownlow contender. Yeah, And uh, I'm not sure that there's another player in there that's a Brownlow medal contender. And then the other guy that, that stands out with Kelly that haven't, haven't been in the league for too long, but two-time All-Australian in three seasons, obviously Tom Stewart stands out as well. So I, I think as far as All-Australian nods, uh, Stewart is one that stands out, even though he hasn't had the longevity of, a, of an Isaac Smith or a Zorko uh, or an Ed Kerno. Yeah, I, I think Kelly is probably going to end up being the best on, on this list yeah. in near three or four years' time, but it's only been a, a couple of years here at this level, whereas those other guys like Zorko have been doing it for 10 years or you know, Howe's been doing it for that long. Harry Taylor's been doing it for forever yeah. as well at that high level. So you know, looking at what they've done versus what they might do, um, I think that's where the, the designation comes in there. But some of, the, some of these names, you, you don't really... Like I didn't, I never even you know, thought Harry Taylor was, uh, you know, have him in in my mind as being that that guy that you know came across from um from East Fremantle back uh, whenever it was, you know, forever ago when he was twenty one. So you don't you don't really think of it in that way. You just see how oh, Harry Taylor is just here and he's just been there at that level for that long. And it's so much of this stuff sort of slips slips through your mind, I guess, if you're not thinking about it continually. Well, Harry Taylor was an interesting one, and this was prior to uh, the, uh, I guess, the timeline that uh, you gave us here from 2010. This was 2008, but it was really interesting because remember Matthew Egan was uh, an All Australian, yeah, and and then he had the navicular injury and just never came back. He never came back and played uh, AFL again, I don't believe. And the Cats just that summer said, oh, we need a tall backman? Cool, we're, let's replace Matthew Egan with another guy that's going to be our center back for the next decade plus. So quite remarkable that they were able to do that. But again, it, it does show that uh, there is guys that, particularly in that 21, 22, 23 age bracket, that have their bodies have matured a little bit. If you are a team in that situation where you're contending like the Cats were, I think there's more of a scope to, to plug guys in uh, automatically into your team. Yeah, you, you, there is obviously talent around these leagues, and that's evidenced by some of these names that we're reeling off here. There are also guys that, that come in and try to fill that role that, that aren't able to do it, and that's you know, about yeah. trying to find that right guy because some players aren't developing until they're 22, 23. And that's why you know, we often hear about, and I just talked about it before with uh, Himmelberg, saying, you know, okay, well, now he's four years in, he's 22 years of age, mm. and give him the next three years, and then he develops. So there are plenty of these guys that won't be in AFL programs all this time that are doing that development, playing for... Old old Scotch in the, in the Vaffer or something like that, or, or playing over for Glenelg in the in the Sandful. There are these sort of players who might take that little bit of extra time, but you know, a lot of the time it doesn't work out. But you can get some absolute gems there, and a lot of this stuff. Uh, I think if you looked at this list plus you know, looking at guys you know, off rookie lists as well, it just shows that there is multiple ways to have success in the AFL. So on to the other game, the main event, I guess you could say, from Tuesday night footy. West Coast and Essendon, I feel like this has been a theme of the year for a number of teams that lose games that perhaps uh, they weren't favoured to win. But I couldn't help but watch this game last night and right throughout and just think Essendon just blew this opportunity big time. Kicking for goal was definitely the one thing that stood out. We've spoke about accuracy all season long. West Coast finished 9-6, Essendon finished 6-9. 
West Coast win by 15 points, and even that margin felt like it it wasn't indicative of the game we saw. Essendon, again, show their ability to play really, really attacking football. They just had about a 5-10 minute period in the second quarter where Nick Nack completely took over this game, dominated out of center. They got three goals in the space of about two minutes. Outside of that, uh, this game was all Essendon. Yeah, they were much much more impressive than they had been in pre- previous weeks. We didn't get that same impact from Joe Danaher. He did still have three uh, mm. shots at goal, missed them all, and that's something we've criticized him for. But it is hard to win when yeah, Danaher is getting seven touches and Jake Stringer literally did not get a kick. He had four handballs, and, and that's <laughs> that's his, his entire game. And we talked about, hey, yeah, Stringer and Danaher are up forward, options enabling other guys to come in and come in behind them. And, but when they're not... Yeah, hitting the scoreboard or doing that, it makes it hard. But that just makes everything else they did more impressive. 30-plus touches for Shield and Merritt. Had another big game from Jordan Ridley, who was one of the most improved players in the competition this season. He took uh, 13 grabs in this game. Um, they, They looked a lot better by getting these players back. Dyson Heppel back in here. Yeah. It wasn't at his best. He only had three kicks with, with 12 handballs. But yeah, ba- at least back in the team and just giving them that extra strength. Um, but yeah, look, that probably puts a pin in their season, I would guess, at uh, you know, six six and seven with a draw with you know, three games left. It's going to make it tough for them, and it was always going to be tough playing against the Eagles, and it's probably going to be tougher now with uh, McGrath um, struggling with uh, an injury. It looks like an ankle injury. Yeah, it looked like a pretty serious one. I couldn't help but laugh, though, and I had to bring this up. McGrath, I don't think he's any chance to play this week, and this is where it gets difficult for the Bombers. So they could... If they win the last three, they'll probably get in. But they have to back up Tuesday with a game against the Cats on Sunday. And again, this is another one of those games where you speak about the break. So Essendon are going to be on a five-day break. The Cats will be on a nine. And what we've seen in evidence over the last couple of weeks, that hasn't gone well for the team on shorter break, Uh, particularly this game where Essendon had to fight this one out to the last minutes. And they're going to lose a key player like McGrath. But at the start of the last quarter, or it might have been the second half, I can't remember, McGrath's walking around the sidelines on crutches. He's got ice on his ankle. This is the AFL, and the, and he was clearly moving pretty slowly. He had about 150 meters to move, and the umpire said, I'm not starting this game. I'm not bouncing this ball until McGrath is stopped walking around the sidelines. And it could it just reminded me of local footy, when there's always one one or two guys that are drunk at the end of the third quarter time, uh, three-quarter time speech. They've been out at the huddle and they're stumbling off the ground, and all the players are yelling at them to get off the field. The umpires are waiting for them. This is the AFL. Surely we didn't have to sit there and watch Andrew McGrath use his crutches right around the boundary line. It was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I don't really see what the what the, <laughs> the, the need for, for that is. It, is uh, it was pretty weird. It wasn't the only weird thing, though, that happened uh, in that game. Uh, the other part coming in the uh, coverage on Fox of Kale Hooker's 200th game. Um, and it's just actually Fox Footy has just announced uh, or put out an apology about it. Because um, what happened is they put out this highlights video, and it was just him getting cooked pretty much in every in every one of the highlights. Uh, and Fox put out with a statement now it says sometimes you go in well intentioned to give someone a compliment and you get it totally wrong. We got it totally wrong last night. I don't know what the well intention was. We have great respect for Kale Hooker, and we are contacting both him and the club this morning. Apologies to all. No, well, that's complete bullshit from Fox. And, <laughs> and listen, absolutely nobody is taking that uh, statement seriously. i tell you what this was, and we've spoke about this before, with the older players that Fox have in their broadcast uh, box in their commentary teams, 
it's all about them at times. And they struggle to let go of the fact that they used to be AFL footy players. And this was a way to show Jonathan Brown, who was on the call, taking a few marks. This had nothing to do with Kyle Hooker. It wasn't well-intentioned at all. The guys just wanted a little bit of time that they could talk about themselves a little bit. And they pretty much go through every single game and do this at least once. And that's what this was. But uh, it blew up in their face, no doubt. It was very, very strange. It was very weird. When I saw it, the first thing I thought is, is this fair dinkum? Are they actually just ripping this guy in his 200th game? And uh, they got called out pretty quickly. Nathan Buckley was one on Twitter who uh, said, do better, I think, amongst uh, other things that he said in his tweet. And Dustin Fletcher, not verified on Twitter. Going to get Dustin Fletcher verified, I think. I had to check that it was actually a real account, but uh, he wasn't too pleased either. Yeah, he, he wasn't. It was a it was a weird thing. And you talk about like having those you know, guys reliving their AFL moments. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing worse than watching Fox Footy and having Jonathan Brown and Nick Rewalt together. Yeah. And then someone in that game takes a mark going oh, back yeah. with a flight of the ball. There is nothing worse than that happening because then all you do is you see clips of those two doing it, and it just becomes the topic for uh, uh, yeah all of halftime. Oh, was it better than your one, Brownie? Better than your one, Rui? Okay. I think no one cares that combination with a mark going back with a flight of the ball. It's a, it's a recipe for a disaster from a commentary point of view. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, that, that apology is bullshit and uh, we'll see exactly what happens from there. But people quick to call it out. Of course, um, at least West coast gets the win in Queensland. Kane, cause we, we had that loss with them against Richmond last week and the early season struggles, but wouldn't say it was convincing. No, it wasn't, and I don't know how much of this is West Coast or Essendon because I, I, I was kind of impressed with the Bombers last night. I thought they were okay. Yes, they were wasteful, particularly with their disposal. I mean, the, the thing that struck me with Essendon in this game was they looked really dangerous in transition from the back line through to the forward 50. And Jordan Ridley, again, I mean, I can't praise him enough the season that he's having, but Essendon seemed to have a real trouble with Basic, simple, open handballs. The amount of handballs that were behind the player just completely almost missed their, their fist. It was, it was very, very strange. But as far as West Coast go, I, I, yeah, it's interesting. No uh, Josh Kennedy, obviously, and they'll look to get him back uh, next week. That will make a difference. I thought Oscar Allen was okay. I thought he looked dangerous at times. And overall, it did feel like the Eagles had enough opportunity to score. Uh, but in the end, I mean, it was their straight goal kicking that saved them. And late in this game, and because I know that they play the Bulldogs this week in another big game that the Doggies are going to be absolutely desperate. There's no doubt about that. What do you think happened with Luke Shuey? Because I watched the post game here and Adam Simpson sort of shrugged it off and said, oh, yeah, he's going to miss a few weeks anyway. Uh, I don't know. They just put him back on there. He thought he was okay. Luke Shuey was limping off the ground at three-quarter time. The report was that he had hamstring soreness or hamstring tightness. They put the skipper back onto the ground in a game that was virtually decided and then he, uh, he hurts his hamstring again, comes off. It's hard to imagine that he didn't do more damage by going back on the field. And it's even harder to imagine what the hell they were thinking putting him back out there anyway. Yeah, I don't understand that, that decision at all. And it looks like it's going to be a couple of weeks here. It's, there's Simpson saying he didn't do any more damage. They definitely wouldn't say whether he did. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, apparently they said you know, he can go at 80% capacity with his hand. I, I, I've never heard that before. It was, so, it was so bizarre. I've never heard that statement. Oh, you've pulled a hammy, but I just just go out there and give us half of what you yeah. got. Like, no, no, I don't I don't think so. I don't think that's anything I've ever heard before. So that, that was a weird one. And now he's going to miss these next couple of games, which are against uh, the Bulldogs, as you said, and then against the Saints. The Eagles have won just one game at Metricon Stadium, Stadium all season against the Swans. And they go back to Metricon next week uh, to take on the Bulldogs. So 
maybe maybe there's a chance. Maybe my hopes are still up for that one because they have not looked convincing in the last two here back in Queensland. The Kennedy injury, we'll see if he returns and our shoe is out. Um, and because is their top their spot in the top four is absolutely up for grabs here because well, you might they should handle the Bulldogs, but then the last game of the year against St Kilda, who have had some troubles with good teams, but again at the Gabba, they may not be that lock for the top four that we thought. No, well, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I've done the, and it, maybe it's it's something you could do as well, and you could sort of let us know where you land on this, but I, I have done the ladder predictor for the rest of the season, and I have got the Cats uh, falling outside the top four. I think they finished fifth. I think the Geelong-Richmond game uh, next round is is the critical one that will decide that, but that's basically assuming that the Eagles take care of business, and if they don't, and then Brisbane's in the same boat, if they don't take care of business, they got a pretty big game against Collingwood this week. So assuming the favourites win all the games, I think the Cats are the ones on the outside. But uh, I guess you can't rule out an upset. And that's why you know, any any decision that leads to a, a, an injury like that to your skipper, uh, it's, it's critical. It's crucial because, again, we spoke about top four. I think you desperately want it. Yeah, uh, it's massively important, I think. And, yeah, I, it, it is a real worry for them here to see exactly which direction this goes for the Eagles, but we'll uh, we'll talk more about that when they do get ready for their next game against the Bulldogs. Kane, that'll uh, just about wrap us up for today. Thank you again for another episode of Locked On AFL. Oh, of course, and there is footy tonight. Of course, we didn't even get to it. No, there was too much to talk about, but uh, Richmond Frio. So again, you talk about one of those upsets games, uh, something to watch there. I'm sure we'll uh, get to that tomorrow. We will. We'll talk all about that one tomorrow, guys. Subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Ryan Bastanak.